we're in this series called Grace at Work, and, and uh, we're going to continue in that series this morning, and, and I, I hope and pray uh, that you've learned a lot about grace and how grace works in your life. Uh, I've learned a lot just from, from study and working through the scriptures along with you. Uh, we're all on a journey, and we're all learning together. And so today we're going to look at this subject of grace at work again and how grace works itself out in our life. And we're going to look at this subject of restoring grace. And what does restoring grace look like? And so if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, you can use Version, and that's, that's actually live. In other words, you can go to Version and search for a live event, Fellowship of the Rockies, and all the notes will come up. And then you can take notes electronically. And then afterwards, you can email them to yourself or old school paper Bible um, or you can use a tablet, a phone, whatever you use to get scripture. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 51 today. In fact, is we're just going to go verse by verse through this. And I'm talking to you about this subject of restoring grace. In other words, what, what does it look like to confess sin, uh, to have restoring grace to God, and then also to walk through conflict or, or walk through an issue with another individual to where there's a proper confession, to where, anywhere, in other words, it puts the relationship back in right order, relationship to God and re relationship to, to others. Because I, I think that there's some Christians who are saved by grace and they're believers, but for whatever reason, they no longer enjoy the peace of God or they no longer enjoy joy, uh, uh, peace in their life or joy in their life or freedom in their life or anything like that. And I think a lot of the reasons is, is they're walking in spiritual bondage. In other words, um, maybe they're walking through life and they're wondering, does God really forgive me? I mean, am I really totally and completely forgiven? And so I want to talk to you about this issue of restoring grace because if you're not careful, you can, you can isolate yourself. You can isolate yourself uh, from God and you can isolate yourself from others uh, because of a sin, because of an action, because something that you've done wrong and you've asked over and over and over forgiveness. And so, so for whatever reason, you don't, you don't feel like you've had that restoring grace. You don't really feel like you've been forgiven and that freedom that comes in your life. Because for there could, to be reconciliation, and you just break fellowship with God, you're, you're, you're still his child, you you're, you're, you're still have a relationship with him, but you break that intimacy. And for that intimacy to return, there has to be biblical confession to where you walk through a process to where God restores you and the relationship. And so I want to talk to you about restoring grace, and I want to use a time out of, out of David's life. Now, David was in the Old Testament. Uh, he was a king. He was a very prominent king. It was a period in his life, and we're going to look at a period of his life where he was, he was very, very successful. It was a good season of his life. It was a good time in his, in his life. And, uh, but, but some bad things began to happen in David's life. And so David saw a woman, Bathsheba. Uh, he was physically attracted to her, so he, he put a plan into place. And, and so it led to an adulterous affair with, with Bathsheba. Uh, she became pregnant. And then once she became pregnant, then David developed the cover-up and thought he would cover this up and so uh, he tried several different things and it didn't really work out and so really and truly David played a part in, in her husband losing his life and so as a result of this it, it broke up her family it hurt some people uh, they went through a difficult time and they, and they went through this cover-up and when her husband had lost his life they thought David thought that the cover-up was complete and he was home free so before we get to Psalm 51, I want to read a couple of verses, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 27. Here's what it says about that time. Right after the cover-up, 
Verse 27, and when the mourning was over, in other words, they mourned the death of her husband, David sent and brought her to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. And there's a period. If you don't read on, David and Bathsheba probably thought, you know what, we're home free. Nobody knows. The plan worked. We manipulated it. We controlled it. Uh, We're home free. But that next sentence, I don't know about you, but that is a very sobering sentence. It's a very sobering phrase that even though nobody knew other than David and Bathsheba what had taken place, the next verse, the next sentence, in other words, says, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. So our Proverbs 28, 13 tells us this, whoever conceals his transgressions or sins will not, will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them, it's talking about repentance, will obtain mercy, will obtain restoring grace. So what does that mean? How do you obtain restoring grace? How do you know that your sins have been forgiven? How do you put relationships back together? You see, here's the interesting thing about this. Uh, God went to Nathan, which was David's preacher, nine months after this had taken place. Nine months after the cover-up had happened, and Nathan went to confront David. Here's the interesting thing. Just a little bit of a biblical principle is this. Just because there's an offense doesn't mean there needs to be an immediate rebuke. Just, just because there's an immediate offense, there, just because there's an offense in a relationship, doesn't have, doesn't mean there has to be just like this, immediate rebuke or this immediate confrontation. In other words, you wait till the timing is right. I mean, you wait till the timing is right to confront someone. God waited a few months to cut, confront uh, David over this issue. But in other words, you wait until they're, they're ready or you wait till the situation's right. Uh, in other words, you don't confront someone when, it's, when they're about ready to go to bed or they're about ready to go to work or when they're tired or when they're exhausted and all those other things. And so God sent Nathan to go confront David. And here's the interesting thing about that. When Nathan went to confront David, Nathan didn't talk to anybody else about this. In other words, Nathan didn't talk about David. David didn't, Nathan didn't talk to other people about what David had done and what he's going to go talk to David about. I mean, this was between Nathan and David. I mean, this is just pure conflict resolution. This is just pure how to walk through conflict to where there's a restoring grace. There's restoring grace between you and God, and there's this restoring grace towards other people. Now, we're going to walk through Psalm 51 together. And I'm going to ask and answer three questions. That Really, these three questions, I developed these three questions back many years ago when I used to do pastoral counseling and I'd walk couples or individuals through what is forgiveness and what is biblical confession of sin, what is biblical conflict resolution so you can move forward to the future together. So the first question I want to look at is this, is what is missing in a real confession? In other words, the Proverbs 28:13 talks about that in a real confession that there is restoring grace, that there is forgiveness, that there is healing in that. And so the question is, is what is, what is missing? 
what is missing in a real confession? How do I know when the confession's real? How do I know when my confession's real? How do I know when I'm talking to someone in conflict and their confession is real? And so, so what is missing in a real confession? Three things that are missing in a real biblical confession. The first one is this, is vilification of anyone other than yourself. I mean, you see this in David's confession, that, that he doesn't vilify anyone else. He, it, it's, it's all about him. The fact is, here's what the Scripture says in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. So David said to Nathan, Nathan confronts David. And Nathan says, David, this is what you've been doing. And, Nathan, and David looks at Nathan and says, and David said to Nathan, I have sinned. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also... The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. In other words, what Nathan was telling David is, God's going to restore you. God's going to forgive you of your sin. Listen, let me tell you something. In a, real, in a real confession, when someone confronts you and they confront you in the proper way, there is no place for anger or frustration towards the person that is confronting you. In other words, there is no vilification... David didn't make anyone else out to be the bad guy. He didn't vilify anyone. In other words, this, when David was confronted, David didn't attack Nathan. David didn't attack his, his integrity. David, David didn't go through a list of all the things that Nathan has done wrong. And like, how dare you to confront me? How dare you to talk about me? About, uh, talk to me about this? Uh, I, I know all the stuff you've done wrong. I've known how you've blown it. He didn't attack the process. I mean, he didn't question if, if, if Nathan was sent from God. He didn't look at David and, and, or didn't look at Nathan and said, who do you think you are? Do you think you're perfect? I mean, you look in David's life and you just realize that David did not vilify anyone or make anyone else out to be evil. In other words, this, David took responsibility for his actions and he humbly confessed his sin. I mean, when we walk through this in a few moments, David offered no excuses. David offered no excuses for his sins. He, he pleaded no mitigating circumstances. He didn't attack uh, the other woman and say it was his fault. It, wasn't, it, it was her fault. It wasn't his fault. He, he never says any of that. I mean, when you look at David's life, you realize in this confession that, that he didn't vilify anyone. The second thing that's missing from a real confession is this, is justification of personal sin. Just, uh, he didn't try to justify anything. So there was no, in David's confession, there was no justification of personal sin. There's a, there's a biblical principle that I learned many years ago that I try to live my life by, and it's just this bi biblical principle of this, is the sin of another does not justify your sin. The sin of another does not justify my sin. I'm accountable and responsible for my words and my actions. The sin of another does not justify your action. And so you, you, you see this in David's life or you don't see this in his confession to when, when he's confronted. He's not trying to justify his actions. He's not trying to justify what he did and how he did it. He's not blaming people. He's not, he's not justifying it based upon circumstances, stress. He was exhausted, uh, not enough sleep, workload. All He's not even trying to justify this. In other words, David... 
did not blame and justify. He didn't blame and say, you know what, I don't have any unfulfilled relationships in my life. Um, he didn't blame God. He said, it was God that, that, that put her in my path and all those other things. He didn't blame his parents. He didn't blame some hurt of childhood. None of that. In other words, David, he took like responsibility for his actions. And he didn't try to justify what he was doing. Listen, you will never find freedom in your life if you don't come to the place to where you can take responsibility for your words and for your actions. And the sin of another does not justify our actions. And listen, when you're walking through, and if you confront someone and you're, you're walking through reconciliation, and they're trying to justify their actions by blaming others, I just need to tell you, that's not a real confession. And that's not going to bring healing in the relationship. The third and the last thing that's missing in a, in, a, in a real confession is this, a cry for privacy. A cry for privacy is missing in a real biblical confession. Listen, this quote is not mine. It's just I had written it years ago in the back of, of my Bible. And uh, when I was doing pastoral counseling, it was one that I used often. And, and, uh, and I have no clue uh, where I got this quote from, I asked the Google earlier, and the Google doesn't know. So if the Google doesn't know, who knows? <laughs> so I just want to be clear, it's not my quote, okay? <laughs> but here's, here's, what, here's what someone said. A truly repentant man is more concerned about what God thinks than how he appears to people. A real confession cares more about intimacy, their relationship with God, what God thinks about them and how they're walking through this, regardless of what anybody else thinks. And so you look at David's life and you look at David's confession and you realize that there wasn't this cry for, for privacy. In other words, David wasn't saying, Nathan, that's none of your business. Uh, that's, that's my private life. Here I, am, here I am, the king. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are prying in my private life? See, a cry for privacy is missing in a real confession. Who do you think you are? Checking my text messages, my email, my Facebook, my Twitter feed, Instagram, emails. I'm telling you. A real biblical confession understands my relationship to God is more important than anything else. And if a person, listen, if a person has nothing to hide and cares about the relationship, privacy is no big deal to them. They, they understand accountability. They understand that accountability has to be in place to, to, to build and to rebuild trust when trust has been broken. So there's, th there's three things that are missing in a real confession, a biblical confession that restores. The next thing I'd like to look at is this, is well, then what makes up a real confession? I mean, what, 
what, what does a real confession look like? I mean, Proverbs talks about this and Scripture talks about this, that when we, we confess our sins, that, that there's this restoration that takes place and there's this, there's this blessing that takes place. See, the word confession, the English word confession comes from a compound Greek word that basically means this or basically says this, to say the same thing as, to agree with. In other words, when we confess sin, we're agreeing with God. Confession is simply this, agreeing with God that that was sin. Confession with, with relationships is the same thing, to say the same thing as, to, to agree with. And often I believe that, that sometimes we feel like that our sins aren't fully forgiven because there hasn't been a true confession, that we, we've stopped short. So Psalm 51 is David's prayer. After he was confronted by Nathan, uh, uh, David prayed this prayer, and, and I think it helps. I know it's, it's 19 verses. It's, 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 it's a long group of passages. Normally don't read these, this many passages in a group, but I think it helps to understand the heart and the intent, and then we're going to walk back through this, and we're going to understand what is a biblical confession, what is a real confession. So here, here, here's David's prayer, starting in verse 1, Psalm 51. He said, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. There's a stop right there. 33 times in 19 verses, you're going to see the word or hear the word, I, me, my. I mean, this is just so important. David understood. David understood he's not, he's not trying to justify anything. He's not trying to blame anyone. He understands. He is owning what, his, what is his to own. This is so important in understanding this passage, verse 3. For I, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Listen, when, when sin is unconfessed, when there's not a real confession, you'll never have peace. Why? Because your sin is all, always before you. Confession takes sin and puts it behind you. It takes it away. And so he goes on, verse 4, Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face. You just hear him pleading. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. And then all of a sudden you see this, this turn. In, in verse 10 it starts turning and it, it starts looking forward. And he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from your blood guiltlessness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God. You will not be despised. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. 
Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. I want to help you understand what a real confession is and how do you know that you have truly confessed something, whether it's to God or to someone else. The first thing is this. In a real confession, I will. These are just statements. I will confess until I have contempt for what I'm confessing. I will come to the place that I will, I will confess. And I will confess as much as I need to until I have contempt for what I'm confessing. Again, verses 1 through 6, I just want you to grab this. He said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love and according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. You know what? You know what David is doing? David is agreeing with God about the fact of his act or the fact of his sin. A lot of, a lot of times we, we go halfway. And I believe that's why we don't feel a restoring grace. A lot of times we're willing to talk about the act. We're talking about the, what we did. We're willing to talk about that. But not the nature. Not not the nature of the sin, not the evilness of the sin. See, a lot of times what we're willing, we're willing to admit the act, but not just the evilness of evil. In other words, this, we stop short of dealing with the destruction of sin, just the evilness of sin and, and who it hurt and, 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 and what pain it brought to them. I mean, David was saying this is destroying the, the intimacy, not his relationship, but the intimacy that he has with God, and it's causing destruction to other people. See, when you confront someone, and someone's trying to confess something, and that person gets mad at you when you're confronting them, and they get mad at you for being mad at them, for what you're saying, that's not a real confession. When they turn and they start attacking you, or when they try to minimize the destruction that it's caused, I'll admit the act, and so you just need to get happy and you need to get over it and you need to move on and it's not that big of a deal. You're making this more of a, more of a big deal than it really is. I mean, see, this, maybe this is why, maybe this is one of the reasons why David was a, was a man after all God's own heart because he wanted to walk in this intimacy with God. Verse 17, he said, the sacrifices of God, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. And he repeats that, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Listen, David uses that word broken. That word broken in the Hebrew is shabar. And shabar means this in the Hebrew. It means broken to pieces. It means torn apart. It means to, to burst. It means to rend. It means to tear. It means to be totally destroyed. It means to be broken and sorry for having done wrong and willing, so important, willing to atone. Shabar was a word that they would use when a ship sailed into a storm and the winds broke the, the hull of the ship and destroyed the ship. They would use this word shabar. In other words, it was used of a word. It was only used to describe destruction. Listen, let me tell you something. 
we need to understand the depths of our sins sometimes and God's desire God's desire is not to make you feel bad God's desire is to set you free God's desire is to bring restoring grace to you and to relationships and a true confession what scripture says brings that see David's biggest concern was his relationship with God and he first confessed to God then he confessed to others there's sometimes there are some situations that we get in that the confession has to be to God and it has to be to other people if it's a real confession if it's a biblical confession then the second statement is this is is I will repent until there's a shift of, of reliance I will come to the place that I will repent until like there's this shift of reliance uh, verse 10 scripture says create in me a, a clean heart O God renew a right spirit within me cast me not away from your presence and take your Holy Spirit from me remember this is the Old Testament restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit in other words this issue of well this is a term of grieving it's not only acknowledging the act it's not only acknowledging sin but it's also acknowledging the loss of intimacy it's also acknowledging the destruction of sin this is what repentance is all about repentance is this issue well the definition of repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of action and that just simply means this that you realize the road you're headed on if you continue on that road it's going to continue to bring pain and hurt and destruction to you and other people your relationship with God and all those other things and as a result of that it's a change of mind this is I, I, I can't keep doing this leads to a change of action to where you change your direction in other words it's acceptance versus forgiveness I mean, it, it, you, you just you just see this in and you see this in David's language. Verse 10, created me a pure heart. Verse 11, cast me not away from your presence. I mean, he cared deeply about his relationship with God. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Verse 12 again, and, and, and uphold. Uphold me with a, with a willing spirit. It's just so interesting. Um, in, a, in a true confession, there's no reliance on personal control. one of the things that got David into this mess was manipulation and trying to control things one of the things that gets a person out in a true confession is no longer reliance on self see a broken person when a, when a, when a, when a person's broken and when they're confronted you know what they'll usually say they'll usually say things like you know what man I'm sorry I'm wrong I did it What whatever you whatever you tell me I need to do to restore this relationship I'll do I'm not going to try to manipulate I'm not going to try to control uh, I'm not going to attack the process what, whatever you need me to do to rebuild trust to restore the relationship I mean you just see in David's life David gives up all control see this psalm is about intimate communion with God and it's about moving from the surface down to the heart issues in other words it moves from the symptoms to the root causes see a lot of times a lot of times when we don't feel freedom from God and we don't feel a restoring grace we've just dealt with symptoms not the root causes and same is true in relationships 
true conflict resolution. And it's dealing with the it's dealing with the root causes. I mean, I mean, David, David came to this place where he gave up all control. Another thing in in a, in a real confession that we will do, if the confession is real, then then I will obey what I what I know to do. In other words, there there's there's that repentance piece. There, there's that there's that change in my life. Verse thirteen, he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will re- return to you. In other words, David realized that, man, we have we have we have no power to completely follow through with with our commitments apart from a dynamic relationship with God. That's that's why we're, that's why we life journal. That's why we stay in God's Word daily because we understand that we need a dynamic, living, breathing relationship with Him. And listen, we know this principle in parenting is, is true and in, uh, in the spiritual life as well, is that you, you cannot correct outward behavior until there's an inward change, right? If you just continually deal with symptoms, you'll frustrate both parties. But, but you cannot really, you really cannot change outward behavior until there's an inward change. See, real biblical conflict resolution is a glance back to where, where you own what is yours, you ask for forgiveness, you walk through that process, but the majority of your conversation shouldn't be backward-looking, it should be forward-looking. How can we prevent this in the future? When I get into this situation again, what will I do different? How, how will I rebuild trust with you? What needs to take place? The last thing about a real confession is this, is, is praise you learn to praise God because it because it overflows. It's just so interesting to me. Uh, verse 14, 15, we'll only look at verse uh, 15. But all of a sudden, you see this change in David's life when there was like this restoring grace. Then all of a sudden, it, it just, this, this shift began to happen in the language of the Psalms. And then all of a sudden, it just seems like praise just began to overflow in David's heart because he understood this restoring grace. Verse 15 says this, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Listen, when there's, a, when there's a true confession and there's this restoring grace, then praise just begins to flow. I mean, some, when you realize, listen, I'm just telling you, when you understand what God has forgiven you for and He has set you free and all of your sins have been forgiven, you cannot help but praise Him. Nobody has to tell you to praise Him and nobody tell you, has to tell you to worship Him. It's just something that naturally comes out of your life. And I just want to tell you this, that worship is what gets us into trouble and worship is what gets us out of trouble. Worship of idols. Misplaced worship will always get you into trouble. And this is what happened to David. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, misplaced worship, worship of idols will always get you into trouble. But I need to tell you this, proper placed worship always gets you out of trouble. You can, I'm telling you, you can worship and you can praise your way out of trouble. When you understand that He has restored you in the healing that has taken place in your life. The last thing is this, is what a real confession does not prevent is consequences. David and Bathsheba had to go through some consequences. I mean, you can read the story for yourself and in the Old Testament and you'll realize, you know what? Uh, even though it was a real confession, even though it was a biblical confession, there were still some consequences that they had to walk through. But, but you have a choice in life. You can, either, you can either walk through the consequences with God or without God. 
And so you can look at this and you can look at David's next steps and you may ask yourself, well, what are, what are my next steps? And you can ask yourself, does this stuff really work? What happened in David's life? Here's the interesting thing. After he found restoring grace, after Nathan confronted him and he confessed, it was after that that David wrote the 23rd Psalm. He knew restoring grace. 23rd Psalm says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He, he restores my soul. It's restoring grace. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they're the ones that comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is the picture of restoring grace. And David and Bathsheba had to walk through some consequences. They also were blessed with a son by the name of Solomon, who would be the heir to the kingdom. Restoring grace is what God offers every one of us. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, let me ask you, what is, what is God saying to you? What is God saying to you as a result of this word? What is he saying to you as a result of this message? More importantly, what are your next steps? David, David had next steps when, when he was confronted. But what are your next steps? Would you say you're maybe like David? And you would say, you know what, my sin is always before me. I just feel like I haven't received forgiveness. Well, maybe, just maybe, is have you confessed that in a real confession? You've confessed not only the act, but the brokenness and the hurt and the damage. And maybe for you, it's just, God, I, I just need, I need your restoring grace. I need your restoring grace this morning. Is there someone that you're in relationship with where there's conflict and you know what, you just need to have a conversation with them. And you need there to be biblical conflict resolution where no one attacks anyone but where it restores the relationship. I don't know what your next step is. I just know this, every one of us has a next step. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I, I, I need prayer. I just need someone to pray for me. And you're in a great place. Because we'd love to have the opportunity to minister to you. We'd love to have the opportunity to pray for you. So in just a few minutes after I pray, we're going to stand. And when we stand together, I'm going to invite you that if you need prayer in any area of your life, there's a relational issue that you're walking through, a health issue, a financial issue. This may have something to do with the sermon I just preached. It may have nothing to do with the sermon that I just preached. That's okay. But if you're carrying a burden, we want to pray for you. So in just a few minutes after I pray, we're going to stand. And when we stand, if you need prayer in any area of your life, as you stand up, would you just make your way down to the front? This is a safe place. People will be walking with you. You don't have to walk alone. 
And we'll have prayer partners down here that would love to pray for you and minister to you. So if you need prayer in any area of your life, after I pray, we stand, you, you come. Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you for your restoring grace. Father, we thank you that you desire to restore us, to forgive us, to bring back the joy of our salvation, the joy and the peace that surpasses all understanding. And so, Father, we just ask that you'd pull this church very closely to you, that we would respond to you, and that we'd find comfort, encouragement, and support in your presence, in the presence of other believers. Father, we cannot wait to see what you're going to do, for we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.